Overdrive. Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that takes an expansive look at the world of cars and transport. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories including Maserati wins an award for the world's best event. And in an interview we hear a personal story from our traffic engineering expert Alan Finlay. After 21 years of convertible sports car ownership, he has now moved on. Was it traumatic? I briefly reflect on the passing of a road safety expert whose values and commitment were an example to us all. And in the final interview, we posted on Facebook a photo and a brief story on a classic vehicle. In this program, we review some of the considerable comments that flooded in. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's start the program with the news. This week's news stories are about trends in motoring in 2020. In 1898, a Spanish artillery captain, Emilio de la Cuadra, started making electric cars. The company soon moved into petrol engines, then renamed Hispano Suiza, and between the two world wars made some wonderfully elegant motor vehicles. Licenses from their patents were much in demand from prestige car manufacturers, including Rolls-Royce. Hispano Suiza had some racing success in the 20s. The Second World War saw them move away from car production until the brand name was revived in 2010 and a number of distinctive cars have been designed. And they now have a racing vehicle that shows a modern trend but also is a throwback to their start more than 120 years ago. The latest competition vehicle looks like a dune buggy on steroids. It will compete in the Extreme E Championship, a rally-style event for electric vehicles. Launching a car used to be a straightforward event. Some big banners, a few celebrities, enough food and drink for the local media, a paper press release and a few pictures if you requested them. But in the 2020 COVID environment, Maserati announced a new era with the title XXX, Time to be Audacious, whatever that means. Was it big? Well, it won the Grand Prix Best Event World Awards for 2020, whatever that means. The event included a live show, a virtual experience and a real journey involving key locations in their home city. There were 500 guests at the Moderna circuit with two mirror events in New York and Tokyo. They said, quote, the fast-paced show immersed the spectator in a flow of different segments, including live performances, anamorphic images and augmented reality projected on a monumental screen. How times change. In the past, car companies did everything they could to hide their upcoming models, even to the point of putting screens on the dealership windows when they moved the new vehicles in the day before the launch. This made for a lucrative business for private photographers capturing spy photos of camouflaged vehicles 
during on-road tests. But now car companies know the value of drip-feeding images into the public domain. Mitsubishi has just teased the first image of the highly anticipated, their words, next-generation Outlander SUV. They say it's been developed under the Japanese term Ifu-Dudu, which means authentic and majestic, apparently. But the picture doesn't tell a lot. It shows a black car in a very dark environment, although the monolithic rocks in the background are well lit. I can confidently tell you that the car seems to have thin headlights and a roof, but the rocks are clearly professionally hewn. If you want to create a fanciful version of the ultimate performance car, you might have considered drawing a stylistic model, a sort of sophisticated, wacky racer's vehicle. These sorts of drawings appeared on the cover of school workbooks drawn by motoring nerds with a poor attention span for classical education. Jaguar is now exploiting a much more modern alternative. They developed an all-electric endurance race car for Gran Turismo, a computer game of virtual racing. They say it has four electric motors delivering 1,400 kilowatts, a 0-100km time of just 1.65 seconds, and a top speed of over 400 kilometres an hour. They already had a car in the program, but took on detailed analysis of gamer feedback from online videos and forums for this latest version, which will be in Gran Turismo in 2021. Another trend in 2020 is how vehicle manufacturers are positioning themselves in the customer's mind for the future of motoring. In the past, the image of the future was a series of fanciful dreams from the marketing department based on doodles from the design studio. There is still some of this, but Hyundai, for example, is now promoting its Strategy 2025 to, quote, accelerate transition into a smart mobility solution provider. The strategy builds on three pillars, smart mobility device, smart mobility service, and hydrogen solutions. That they are talking about mobility means that they are pushing much more than horsepower and handling to consider how they might help customers get around in a practical way that may not always include owning or even driving a car. This is a response, I believe, to car companies that have burnt their credibility with over-optimistic projections about when fully autonomous vehicles will be available. And that has been the news. Well, sometimes we have an epiphany in life, and that's represented by a change in the car that we drive. But the best way to not only enjoy it at the moment, but is to look back and reflect on that. Our good colleague, traffic engineering expert, Alan Finlay, has just changed the car from a model that he's had several versions of in the last 20 years. He joins us to tell us all about it. Alan, what have you uh, given up now? Well, David, I've um, somewhat reluctantly given up driving uh, a Mazda MX-5. When did you get your first one? I got my first one in 1999, uh, and it was a 1990 model, one of the original uh, MX-5s with the 1.6-litre engine. And then I uh, had that for a number of years and then upgraded it to a 1998 model, 
um, in about 2001, I think. Uh, that was the second generation MX-5 with a 1.8 litre uh, engine. And then uh, about nine years ago, I upgraded that to the third series, the MC uh, model uh, with a two litre engine. And that's the one I've held until that car is now for sale. Alan, going back 21 years, you're well, sort of the first half of your 40s might be the case. Was this you know, a lifestyle change? Was this a, an epiphany for you back then? I guess so. I'd, I'd always been uh, interested in that type of car, um, a very sort of individual uh, sports car, very good handling, um, very nice to drive um, on country winding roads and so on. Did it fulfil your dreams? Yes, uh, I still remember um, the first time I actually drove it with the top down and um, it was just a magical experience, you know, to be uh, so in touch with what's going on, uh, the open air all around you and um, that sort of freedom, that, you know, the, I guess the uh, classic wind in the hair cliche, etc. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely car to drive and... Um, the other thing about the Mazdas, um, all, all of the ones that I've owned, and I've owned several other Mazda models as well uh, over the years, is that they're just such reliable cars. You know, you don't normally associate sports cars with reliabilities, particularly old English sports cars, I might say. But um, these cars, if they're if they're well maintained, um, they are a delight to drive. And uh, basically, all I would do is put fuel in it and service it and drive it. You went through three different versions, different models of those. Did you notice big changes in each? Um, yes. I mean, the fundamental design of the car hasn't changed all that much. They've, they've kept true to form in terms of trying to keep the weight under control and not make the car too big. And they've always had a really strong emphasis on good handling and a nice combination of steering and, and gearbox operation and so on. The cars over, over the three models that I've had, they have all had a little bit more torque compared to the original one. And, of course, the other thing that's uh, changed quite dramatically in that time is the amount of safety gear on board. The original one that I had, the NA, I think just had uh, two airbags and that was it. There was no other... Um, there was no ABS, no stability control. I don't think it even had power steering, the NA. But uh, as the models have progressed, they've added uh, much more safety uh, gear and they've added uh, the, the model that I, I'm selling now has um, ABS and stability control. And the other thing that's improved, uh, of course, over the years uh, in line with customer expectations is the quality of the music system. The sealing of the roof and the soundproofing, did that improve? Yes, it did. The early ones um, with the, the vinyl roofs or the fabric roofs um, did tend to get a little bit worn around the window seals. So you had to be careful if you were washing the car that you didn't spray high-pressure water at certain angles because it might find its way uh, past the seals. Um, the one that I'm selling now is actually one of the uh, roadster models with a folding metal roof and it's got excellent weatherproofing and sealing and of course it also offers that extra degree of security if uh, you're parking somewhere at night which is perhaps not the most desirable area it's um, mm. offers that little bit extra security rather than the fabric roof have you had manuals or automatics 
No, I've always had manuals. Um, I don't see the point, quite frankly, in having a, um, a car of that ilk with an automatic transmission. Um, I'm a bit of a purist in that regard. And um, this is the other fundamental change that I'm making. Um, when I sell this car and replace it with, um, with the car that I have purchased, it will be the first time in my life that I do not have a manual transmission car available to me. You are going to something different. The car I'm replacing it with is a, a BMW Coupe, and um, so it has uh, basically two good seats in the front, which are very useful, and then two seats in the back, which were really only suitable for occasional use. But I wanted something that was still um, quite sporty and a bit sort of individualistic, mm. And uh, but still uh, practical. The other thing that was very strong on my uh, specification was rear-wheel drive. Oh, okay, yes, of course. Uh, so I particularly wanted something that is rear-wheel drive with very good handling. So a new era in a way, but um, an enjoyment of the last 21 years in the Little Masters. Yes, that's right. And I've been... My wife and I joined the Mazda MX-5 Club of New South Wales not long after I, I bought the first one. And we have enjoyed over the years uh, a number of uh, social outings and drive days that the club offers. And that's one of the other delights. If you if you go out on a nice country road somewhere, and believe me, the MX5 club members know all of the best country roads around Sydney, um, it's a delight to be able to go along in a convoy of about 20 MX5s and uh, everyone enjoying themselves. And um, it was a really good camaraderie in the club. We didn't get to as many events as we would like. It just so happens that you know, we had various uh, diary conflicts and so on. But um, it was nice being a member of the club over over those 21 years as well. Are you going to be ostracised now? Have you gone to the dark side? Are you, were you considered being going to the dark side? Or will you maintain your membership? You can't maintain uh, full membership if you don't actually own an MX-5. So when my uh, membership... Uh, falls due next year. Unfortunately, that will be the end of the MX5 club membership. Uh, so um, I think you can be an associate member or something, or a, or um, but you can't be a full member unless you actually have an MX5. Probably wouldn't do to have a queue of 21 cars with yours in the middle of it if it's not an MX5. No, <laughs> no that's right. I think you'd be banished to the back and, and maybe asked to stay 100 or 200 metres behind the pack. <laughs> Alan, lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. All the best to you. And that's Alan Finlay, our traffic engineer, but also one who has dabbled with a number of cars over the time, but how passionate he has been with his MX-5. This is Overdrive across Australia. It was with great sadness that I went to the funeral of a good work colleague, John Jamison. John gave a lifetime of commitment to his family, social justice, his friends and the traffic and safety profession. I met John when he was the senior traffic engineer for the NRMA during the heyday of its public policy advocacy. His passion was road safety. He started his own company of consulting forensic engineers, specialising in the field of road safety and crash investigations. John's passion for the community benefits of this work was most genuine and reflected his obvious beliefs that helping others was not just a duty, but a joy. 
At his funeral service, Dr Marjorie O'Neill, the state member of the New South Wales Parliament for the seat of Coogee, introduced a video that John had made earlier in the year. And while John did not have a commitment to any religious organisation, he found in certain words from the Anglican prayer book a reflection of his values. Here is Dr O'Neill's brief introduction. Good morning, Mary, Amelia and Georgia. Firstly, thank you so much for this opportunity to introduce this video. It is an absolute honour. Now, in order to fully appreciate what you are about to see, there are just a couple of concepts which I think are worthwhile exploring just for a moment or two. The first is the general intercessions or prayers of the faithful. John chose these prayers to be said at his funeral. Not only do they reveal a great deal about his values, the fact that he did so is evident also to his personal courage and perhaps his need to ensure that things would be done properly here today. John once asked me if I'm religious. My response was, John, I'm a Franciscan. He looked down at me, only the way that he could, and replied, good answer. John, for someone that was not a religious man, you sure did a great imitation of someone that was deeply, deeply spiritual. Now, the second concept I'd like to briefly explore is that of the labour man, for this is what you are about to witness. Now, let's be clear. Joining the Australian Labour Party does not make you a labour man or woman. You can join, wear your membership as a badge or as a jacket on the outside, external to your inner core. John's labour values permitted in his every breath, his thought and deed. John's commitment to social justice and equality, to the alleviation of poverty and homelessness, to universal access to education, health and housing, and his belief that the Australian Labor Party was the best vehicle for the pursuit of these fundamental values is abundantly evident in what, you're, what we all saw in him and what you will again witness today. Thank you, John, for your prayers of the faithful here today and for being such a wonderful Labor man. This is Overdrive across Australia. Well, our resident artist, Dean Oliver, said that he had a funeral at his local church recently for a lady who was very proud of her English heritage, so the funeral director bought out his lovely Daimler DS420. He'd bought it a few years ago from a car in North Queensland, drove it back to Sydney and said it goes like a race car and was just as thirsty. Redlined over the taco at 5,000 revs per minute. There's been a lot of publicity about them recently because of the crown and it's the same model. He said that the hearse that was used for Princess Diana's funeral. We put it up on Facebook and got a flood of comments from the tongue-in-cheek to the reflective of experiences, to the pedants about the particular vehicle model number and what it really meant. Who better to talk about that to give us a proper perspective than our Jaguar fanatic, Chris Ledbetter. G'day, Chris. Hey, how are you going, David? I'm doing well. Now, it was a vehicle that was actually built in the Jaguar factory? No. Well, well yes. The chassis were delivered to various coach builders, so... It was based on the um, 420G, which is a, a, an updated model of the Mark 10. As far as I know, and looking at a, a bit of history, it didn't have the triple 
HD8E-type engine in it, 4.2 litre. It had more akin to what was later in the XJ6, a, a 4.2 with a straight port head and twin 2-inch SUs. 20% of the DS420 production went to uh, coach builders to build hearses. Huh? They were the, the most common hearse in, in Britain. They were, everybody had them. So they went to specialist builders like Wilcox Limousines, uh, which are now Eagle Specialist Vehicles, and uh, to uh, Thomas Starton and Woodell Nicholson. Now, I haven't heard of those. I've heard of Wilcox, but uh, they, they would build the hearse on to the chassis of poor 20G. So they didn't have to extend the chassis or anything? They just had to build the right body? Yeah, that's right. And then they, they were various bodies. People demanded different things like, uh, well, I won't go into too much detail, but big glass area and an elevated area so the coffin could be seen and a comfort for the front driver. That, but they, they get up and go, though. You know, the um, the, the old four-and-a-half-litre XK twin-can six-engine by that stage was quite old. So it was designed and built in 1948 originally. But it had produced about 250 brake horsepower, and they got up to 100 k's in about 10 seconds. 20% went to hearses. What did the other 80% go to? Well, classically, the limousine. The limousine was a very popular vehicle. In fact, one little bit of trivia for you is the fact that the Queen Mum loved the DS420 limousine. She really liked it. She herself owned a Mark 8 Jag and had it constantly refurbished and, and had the chauffeur driven around in that. But she liked the, the DS420 limousine. And, of course, classically, when she passed on, she was carried for her last few miles in a DS420 hearse. <laughs> well, there's probably room in the back for a gin bottle. <laughs> in fact, a bit of trivia there, mate. I've actually, actually, you were with me. We've actually sat in the Queen Mum's Mark 8 Jag in England when we went to the uh, Jaguar factory, I think in 2004. I feel greatly honoured. Of course, you were raising facts about a Jaguar. There are those who will then become just a tad of a pedant about them. Chris wrote in one of the comments saying, interesting, it's newer than the one used for Diana's funeral, which was quite old, had a thinner chrome bumpers, a few dents and not well integrated mini tail lights, which caused some raised eyebrows at the time. Sadly, my knowledge was far, rather limited and I didn't uh, raise my eyebrows to this, but there you go. It's a danger, isn't it? Mal Williams then wrote in and said the S3 version, whatever that means, hence the bumpers. I think the taillights were from a Freight Rover Sherpa van. They may well have been, but of course by then, like Jaguar bought Damer in 1960, the 420... DS420 went from 66 to way up until the 90s, I think. But Jaguar is in the habit, or Jaguar or Daimler, were in the habit of using parts out of the bin too. So by that time it was a Leyland affair and they would have used bin parts. It happens with everyone. Holden's used to do it as well. There were some wonderful experiences came out of it. Andrew wrote in and said, My uncle drove a DS420 limo for the mayor of Dudley. <laughs> used to turn up out outside our house on odd occasions and run us around the block a few times. Felt like an amazing car, especially when you are 10. That's very true, very true. They're great limos. They they sell for about 30, between 30 and 35,000 now. There are a few on the market. 
here and there, but not. I never. I haven't never seen a hearse. Oh, okay. In my time. We'll come to that in a moment about how we might use them. John said, I used to drive the limos, the limousine version, on wedding duties. They drive really well and quite a turn of speed. And Bernard, Bernard Bannister, said, I used to paint them. I, I presume ah. that, that might have been spray painting or was he an artist? I don't know. It is inevitable, of course, in things like this that you get some dad humour. Patel wrote in, why all the switches and gauges? What's the rush? The guy is dead. He's not going to worry. Bless him. It did bring in the notion of alternatives. And uh, Peter sent in a picture of a, looks like an old Chevy, I think, which had been converted into a hearse, stripped back interior, put in a mattress, curtains, make a good sin bin. Got an Australian expression. Saw this old hearse at Mount Gibbs near Broken Hill in the late 70s. Wow. You want a weird reference? Richard wrote in, and he said, that happens to be the same hearse which capsized at the crossroads, according to Chad Morgan. You know, Chad Morgan is, I think, an Australian singer who was orthodontically challenged. He had very prominent teeth, and he wrote a thing on the fatal wedding which had great words like of an old man stationed and his gold. As soon as wedding bells had told, the fortune sure had smiled his way. This was indeed the lucky day, but the bride, she died at the altar. Do you remember? But the bride, she died at the altar. The, the bridegroom died next day. The parsons dropped dead in the churchyard as he was about to pray. Now, here it says, the hearse capsized at the crossroads. It couldn't make the turn. Oh, can't be the Jaguar. Yeah, you would have handled it beautifully. <laughs> and the people stood and cheered like mad as they watched the old church burn. Not exactly the most riveting song, nor was it the way sung, but I thank uh, the reference um, from Richard, who sent that in for us to uh, to remember by. It's a danger putting up anything about an old classic, isn't it? It certainly is, and uh, all those references are true in their own way, of course. <laughs> It would be a nice car to have. I remember years ago when Braddy had his Mark 7 that we drove around the block. I was sitting in the back where you could fold down and there was the little cocktail bar thing there. It was elegant, somewhat somewhat noisy. A a muffler would have helped. It was uh, yet to be restored and perhaps registration might have made it just a tad more legal. But it was an experience that I still remember. Now, I suspect, David, that that's the car we found for him down in Brighton. I hope I'm not giving too much away here, and I hope the police aren't listening. And we drove it back unregistered, and the lights weren't working, so we used torches. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly was an experience, but we got it back. I didn't realise you'd been around the block in that car. Ah, yes. My hearing started to go down from there. Yeah. <laughs> when it was restored, Chris Ward and I and Braddy went to the local Coburg drive-in and watched uh, Rocky 1, 2 and 3. <laughs> it's sitting eating popcorn with the picnic tables down. We always dreamed of sort of shoehorning a V12 into it, but it never occurred. Ah, uh, well, they, those are the, I think it's the stories as well as the finicky details of the car that uh, make uh, these things so lovely to think about and what they've had. Well, Christopher, thank you for that, for adding those details. We we may even uh, end up interviewing the funeral director who has a number of cars and the people that actually build them. 
So I find it rather interesting. Well, that'd be great. All right, well, we'll catch up. I better change your name so as to protect you. Is it Brian from North Queensland? I better call you just a... <laughs> yeah. Yes, good idea. Who now drives a Holden. <clears throat> <laughs> it's reformed, a reformed character. If you ever see our colleague Chris Leadbeater from Melbourne, give him our best regards. <laughs> All right, mate, thanks. Thanks very much for your time. See you later. And that is our Jaguar correspondent, who shall remain nameless at this stage for obvious reasons, telling us about the DS420, which was especially built for things like royalty, but also for funerals as well. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Christopher Leadbeater, Alan Finlay, for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.